going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Wyrick along with Kevin Haswell. Kevin, how you doing today? Doing pretty well. You know, the Phillies are struggling as of late, but Philadelphia 76ers tied with the Cleveland Cavaliers for third um, in the Eastern Conference with three or four games to go for each team. So they also play each other. So should be interesting. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, with the Celtics injury, I know we'll talk about Kyrie later, but Doors have really opened for the Sixers in the Eastern Conference. Yes, the Nats and Wizards have dropped a combined five straight games. Uh, things are not looking great right now. Of course, it's early in the season for the Nats, but the Wizards, just getting John Wall back, are not looking in playoff shape. However, they are currently in line to play the Celtics in the first round, so we could be in for a surprise upset there. Uh, is, it, the is it Celtics... really an upset at that point, though? That's true. I don't know. <laughs> we will see. Uh, but like I said... You know, it's early in the season for the Nats, not too worried, uh, and we still got a lot of basketball left to be played uh, before the end of the season. So we'll go ahead and jump right in here. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about Kyrie, who will now be missing the playoffs after getting uh, an infection on a screw in his knee uh, that was revealed during his previous knee surgery. They found that they're going to need to do it again to clean it out. Uh, and now moving forward, he's going to miss the rest of the year. So this is a huge blow, obviously, for the Celtics, who are currently in line to finish with the second-best record in the East. Um, doesn't look like they're going to be losing a grip on that spot, even with six games left to be played. Uh, five games up on the 76ers and Cavaliers. Can't really imagine that they would lose you know, that much ground that quickly. It's still possible, but they basically have to drop all of their last games, and um, either the Cavs or the Sixers win both. Uh, win the rest of their games. So probably not going to happen. They'll most likely be that number three team, uh, as they are also three games back of the um, Raptors. Now, that means that they're going to be facing a team like the Wizards or Bucks uh, in that seventh round, maybe the Heat in the first round uh, against that number seven seed. Maybe the Heat uh, could be in there. Kevin, do you think the Celtics are able to move past the first round without Kyrie? You know what? Probably not. Uh, right now, they're matched up with the Wizards. They just got John Wall back. Uh, you know, big addition while Celtics got the biggest traction of the year. So, um, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's awful for the Celtics. Um, you know, they had all this potential at the end of the year. Uh, people were penciling them into the finals with Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. Now they lose both of those guys. And Kyrie Irving is having his, arguably his best season of his career. Player efficiency rating of 25.1. Uh, you know, that's a whole two points higher than his career high coming into the season, which was 23 in the 2016-2017 season. Uh, he was having his best defensive year of his career. Um, still a negative defensive box plus minus, but, um, I mean, still pretty good. Uh, seven offensive box plus minus, career high, and a, a career high 6.4 box plus minus. I mean, great year for Kyrie Irving. Injuries have held him back in his career, but, you know, the five-time All-Star, he'll bounce back next year. You know, they'll have a healthy Gordon Hayward, but, you know, I think this season's done. Down the, down the drain now. Yeah, what this really means is obviously losing Kyrie is going is a huge loss. You know, one of the best point guards in the NBA, uh, a top five RPM uh, according to uh, 538. Now, that's not the only loss here. Is the fact that they're also going to have to see extended minutes out of guys that they really wouldn't see playing that much. Marcus Smart, uh, who's missed the last 11 games with a thumb injury um, and has missed another 11 games earlier this year, uh, he is looking to be back in time for the first playoff series, but you're not you know, sure if he'll be 100%. Terry Roger uh, just missed last uh, Tuesday night's game with an ankle injury. And then Shane Larkin has been uh, pretty bad for them, especially when he gets increased minutes. And, you know, 
Terry Rozier's numbers this season are actually pretty impressive. Uh, but when you take Kyrie off the floor, you see a significant drop in his production. Same with Marcus Smart. Yes, Rozier like had that triple double in his first career start, and you know has made headlines with playing well without Kyrie there. He, this is still a much better team with Kyrie. I mean, I mean, I don't think that's disputable in any way. Uh, in the Celtics, I feel like with John Wall, if he's back at full strength by the time the Wizards and um, Celtics meet in that first round of the playoffs, I can't see anyone really keeping up with Wall. Um, you know, this makes Horford that main guy in the offense. And while, you know, certainly they have the potential to dominate the Wizards down low with Martin Gortat and uh, Otto Porter and Markeith Morris really being the guys down there, I don't see, you know, them being able to dominate there enough to make up for the loss that they're going to see in the backcourt because Bradley Beal and John Wall are going to have a field day. And if you can stretch the floor with Kelly Oubre on the bench, now that they're going to have to see, you know, some guys who maybe weren't playing as much are going to have to be covering guys like Oubre, uh, probably not as defensively gifted. I can't see the Wizards, you know, being stopped very much by, um, by the Celtics here. Maybe if they can go against, you know, uh, the Greek Freak and... and Milwaukee, they might stand a chance there. I, you know, Milwaukee's really just kind of held up by Giannis. I don't really think that they have, you know, a ton of potential to go deep in the playoffs. Um, you know, they've been so up and down, and they thought, you know, firing Jason Kidd was going to be the answer, but it really didn't change much. The teams kind of looked the same. They haven't increased, haven't, you know, taken a step back at all. They've just kind of been a fringe team that shows potential, but isn't really able to make it. So maybe they can get out of the first round if they play the Bucks, but. Um, I can't imagine the Heat, you know, Goran Dragic being slowed down um, and, you know, anyone else moving up the totem pole there. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a win-win right now for the Cavaliers um, and the Pacers. I mean, or I mean, not the, the, the Cavaliers and the Sixers. I mean, whoever gets that three seed, uh, it's actually going to be huge now because um, they get to play uh, the Heat if you're a three seed right now. I think the Heat personally, I don't know about you, I think they're the weakest team in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, and they're sitting at six right now. I'd argue the Bucks, but I mean they're definitely in that conversation. But the but the Heat don't have a Giannis type player. Giannis exactly. is gonna show up in the playoffs. I think so, the Heat are just more balanced, which you know, with Celtics uh depth being stretched thin, I feel like the Heat might just be able to outrun them, you know, throughout the series. And that's that's my thing. But I agree that they're definitely the bottom two. Yeah, so then you look at it and whoever gets that three seed gets to play the Heat in the first round, and then they get to play the winner of the Celtics and uh either the Wizards or the Bucks. So that's looking pretty nice. You don't have to touch the Raptors um, and Raptors or Cavs. If you're the Sixers, you get the three seed. You don't have to touch the Raptors or the Cavs until the Eastern Conference Finals. That's a win-win. You know, the Celtics did scare uh, people with Kyrie, but without them, I mean, I just don't see. I mean, there are a lot of good young players. Terry Rozier, um, I think, is a little bit better than they're portraying him to be. Um, You know, a higher player efficiency rating than the average player in the NBA. So. Definitely, you know, I, I honestly would think he's the best backup point guard in the NBA. Uh, we'll see how he steps in. But <clears throat> the path has become really easy, and it makes that getting that three seed extremely important between the Cavs and the Sixers. Yeah, and it also makes that seven seed extremely important between the Bucks and the Wizards, who are tied at that 14 games back from first place, 42 and 36 on the season. Um, Bucks trending in a bit better of a direction. However, they aren't adding a player like Wall's caliber right now. So, 
Um, you got to think that both teams are in full force to try and not be that eight seed and having to play the Raptors in the first round because you play the Raptors in the first round, that's going to make such a difficult path for you to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. So you have to play the Raptors, and from there, you're going to have to play either the Cavs or the Sixers, um, which you know is clearly not optimal compared to having to play the Celtics in the first round and then either the Cavs or the Sixers. I mean, if, if I'm the Wizards right now, I'm hoping for the seven seed, uh, honestly, not even the six the six seed because I'd rather play the Celtics than the Cavs or 76ers right now, obviously. Uh, if you stay in that seven seed, you play the Celtics first round, and then you get the winner of the Cavs and 76ers, who, you know, Sixers are playing as well as anybody right now, 112 straight, which uh, is the longest active winning streak in the NBA right now. Uh, Cavaliers are 9-1 and one in their past 10 games, are off of four in a row. Uh, so both teams trending in the right direction, but if you can get them to take each other out, you only have to play one, and that would be in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good bet for the Wizards. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see... You know, without Joel Embiid, if the Sixers can do it. I mean, uh, first-round matchup with the Heat, Hassan Whiteside, uh, without that inside presence of Joel Embiid, it'll be a very interesting series. And then I'm really excited to see how the Wizards, you know, run down the stretch. I think with John Wall back, uh, this team has the potential to go pretty far in the playoffs. I mean, we saw it last year. They took the Celtics to seven games, even though they lost game seven. But John Wall was huge in that series with that big shot in game six. Um, And I think they got, you know, one of the most talented teams in the Eastern Conference. They should kind of put it all together, uh, and who knows about that team chemistry. But I really like the Wizards um, now that John Wall's back and now that the Celtics have lost Kyrie. I'm just really interested to see how the Raptors play because, I mean, obviously the narrative's there that they struggle in the playoffs. Um, you know, DeRozan and Lowry just can't get it done. Valanchusis ends up being the guy, and when Valanchusis has to be the guy, it's not really a recipe for success. for success, even though he is a very good player. Um, but if they can take a step forward, they're going to be a very dangerous team to play. I was clearly they've done it this year. I mean, DeRozan is playing like one of the best shooting guards in the NBA right now. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. So uh, I'm excited to see this team because, you know, they're going to be able to take advantage of, you know, obviously having that one seed, um, you know, not having to worry about that number two team, you know, really being a factor. They're probably gearing up to see, okay, if the Cavs get the three, uh, we're not going to have to see them until the Eastern Conference Finals. I think if the if the 76ers get that four seed, they have a clear path. Not that to you know knock the Sixers and that they're going to be an easy loss. I don't think they will be, especially with how they're playing right now. But you know, obviously, I think the Cavs are the more dangerous team with LeBron. You know, being able to turn things up in the playoffs. And personally, if I were the Raptors, I would much rather see the Cavs later than sooner. So, do you think with Joel Embiid, if Joel Embiid's back uh, by the second round or at least midway through the first round, and they are able to get through the first round, is, are they good enough with Joel Embiid on the floor to win the Eastern Conference? I would... Especially with the Celtics losing Kyrie, uh, you know, one of the powerhouses in the Eastern Conference, no, no longer a powerhouse. The Raptors, kind of pretenders in my eyes until they prove me wrong. And then Cleveland, you're never going to underestimate LeBron, but... The Sixers have a similar player with Ben Simmons and a dominant player inside, which I don't know if the Cavaliers can combat. So do you think that the Sixers are viable candidates to come out of the Eastern Conference? I mean, looking at the teams right now, I think that there are four teams that could win the East, and that's the Raptors, the Cavs, the Sixers, and the Wizards. And I know I might sound like a homer because the Wizards are in the seventh seed, but they're actually getting John Wall back in the position they're in. I think we define this. They're in a good spot where they could potentially, you know, have a clear path to a run here. Um, but I think the Sixers are up there, you know, just like any of these other teams. I mean, the Raptors kind of separated themselves 
uh, ahead of the pack in terms of regular season play, but they're no sure bet to perform in the playoffs. You know, I'm not certainly wouldn't put my money on them. Cavs have LeBron. They haven't been playing great this year and did go through a major change midway through the season in terms of a roster reshuffle. So I don't know how that well that chemistry is going to translate in the playoffs when everything's tuned up. You know, there's they're going to have some players who've never really made the playoffs before. Like, you know, having to rely on Larry Nance Jr. to be the guy, um, you know, down low. We aren't really going to know how that pans out in the playoffs because we've never seen you know the Lakers make it that far. So we'll have to see about them. The Sixers, obviously, it's just like the Cavs, a lot of players haven't made the playoffs. Considering the Sixers haven't been to the playoffs in forever, um, but you know they have as much talent as anybody, and young talent is always good. Uh, you know, yes, Markel Fultz, I don't think is necessarily going to be a huge factor. Um, but I do think that if he can turn things up a little bit, that's going to change the entire landscape for the Sixers. And I think they could give the Cavs a run for their money uh, if they face it, because they would be playing the Cavaliers. Either way, how this shuffles out, they're going to be playing the Cavaliers in the first uh, the Eastern Conference Finals if they both make, both make it. One's going to be the three, one's going to be the four, uh, unless one just slips and the Pacers pass them, which is possible. Um, but, you know, if the w- things are going the way they're going, we're going to see the only way of them meeting in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think the 76ers can beat the Raptors. I think they can beat the Wizards, but I'm not sure they can beat the Cavs. I think that's the biggest challenge that would pose for them uh, is if LeBron came to town. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't think the Pacers, I don't know the math behind it, but there's two games they're two games back of both the Sixers and the Cavs, and there's only four games remaining. Pretty pretty sure that it's going to be Cavs-Sixers in you know, order, um, in any order. So, But yeah, they'll meet in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that's great for the Eastern Conference. It's going to you know, be a, a great series. It's almost you know the next coming of LeBron against LeBron. The way LeBron looks at it, at least I'm not being a homer, but um, and then the Western Conference. I mean, we haven't even touched on that, but the Rockets now they're six games up. I mean, geez, did you even realize that? No, I mean the Warriors have been struggling with injuries lately. It, it you know hasn't been, it doesn't surprise me. I haven't been paying as much attention to the standings there because uh, I just figured you know Warriors would be second. But Ooh. yeah, five and five in their last ten games. Or your Pelicans. My Pelicans. Half game back. I know. I know. I'm, I'm worried. I'm a little but worried. But they're also only a game up on missing the playoffs. Exactly. And the Clippers are only two games back of making the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, you know, after everything that happened with them trading Blake Griffin, losing Chris Paul over the offseason, for them to be, you know, in the conversation as much as they've been all season, Incredible. it's really, you know, hats off to Doc Rivers you know, leading that team. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap up our NBA portion today. We're going to move on over to another big move. Uh, The Colorado Rockies and Charlie Blackman agreed to a multi-year deal, uh, copping out at $108 million over, I believe, six years, um, with two opt-outs, one after the the fourth year, one after the fifth year. Uh, This is a move that comes with Blackman on the verge of free agency, was going to be part of the mega free agent offseason class, uh, this upcoming winter, along with guys like Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, um, you know Andrew Miller, Zach Britton, lots of names that are out there. Dallas Keuchel, another one. Um, but he decided that you know his home and road splits, which are pretty bad, um, you know might have posed a threat for him to make a lot of money. Yes, he's a great offensive player. 
but on the road, he hasn't been the same. And the Rockies saw it as a chance to leap on you know, a franchise player, a guy who's been a face of their offense for the last few years. I mean, since Cargo kind of fell off over the past two years, they need, they've had somebody else you know, step up. Obviously, Arenado, you know, in a league of his own here. But I think Blackman, in terms of the outfield, has been kind of the guy for them. Uh, and, you know, they don't really care that his home and road splints aren't good because they're still getting all that offensive production at home. Um, so they got signed a team-friendly deal. Yes, $108 million is still a lot of money. Um, but, you know, spread out over six years, that's not, you know, something crazy. Uh, and, you know, I think that this gives Blackman the chance to opt out, which is, is good for him, too. You know, if he continues to have offensive success, he might be able to get some more money uh, four, four or five years into the deal. Um, but this is a move that keeps the um, Rockies offense, you know, stable, I think, over the next few years. They have Arenado locked up. They have Blackman now locked up. They have Ian Desmond locked up um, if he can, you know, ever return to form. Uh, and, you know, it gives them a solid core to build off of. I think now, you know, between that and their relievers that they've all, they signed a bunch of big deals to relievers over the offseason, you know, this gives them a future uh, in a time when, you know, going into last season, we weren't really sure where the Rockies stood. They were kind of just middling every year in the middle of, you know, the NL West weren't great, weren't bad, never were getting great draft picks, but also never, um, you know, rising to the playoffs. But of course, they make it last year, losing in the wildcard game and in a disappointing uh, showing against the Diamondbacks. But, um, you know, as far as the future goes, as long as they can get some starting pitching somewhere along the line, you know, I, I have full faith, full faith in them. Yeah, I mean, I, I like this deal. Um, the only issue I have with it is that he's 31 years old and it's a six-year deal, uh, especially a guy that does rely on speed a little bit. Um, he is more of a faster, you know, center field type player. Uh, I wouldn't mind giving this to a power hitter because I feel like power does travel um, with age, whereas speed, not as much. Uh, I know he doesn't, you know, how many stolen bases he had. Uh, he has 115 stolen bases in his career. Um, in his, I mean, uh, I mean, looking at his home and road splits this year or over his career, um, he's hitting 266 on the road and 340 something at home in his career. Uh, that's incredible. And my only thing is, why don't they care that he sucks away from home? You know what I mean? Like. You play 81 games out of the season away from home. They still want that production, right? Because everyone hits well at home if you play for the Rockies. And I don't – I just don't know. I mean, $100 million for a guy who hits 266 on the road. I know I said I like the deal, but 266, I mean, that's awful. I mean, it isn't awful. You know, a 266 batting average is still right, above average. Put it this way. Put it this way. He's hitting, he has like a 970 OPS away from home. Or I mean, 750 at home at home. and 750 away, 200 mm-hmm. point difference on OPS. That's incredible. It is. It is really significant, and that's that's what I'm saying is that he wasn't probably going to get a ton of money. You know, if you look at it from Blackman's standpoint, he wasn't going to get a ton of money um, in free agency next season uh, over the offseason because of those splits. He was worried that you know there's a lot of top outfielders that are going to be available. Is he going to be able to compete with you know some of those big guys? Um, and, you know, maybe not, you know, I, I ter- certainly can see how he would be, you know, worried, um, about that. But for me, you know, I think that the, the Rockies saw that they have a guy who's putting up MVP caliber numbers, even if he's not doing all of it on the, a lot of it on the road, his final numbers on the season are still up there having him finish, you know, top 10, um, in, uh, free agency. And, you know, 750 OPS puts you in the top hundred players in baseball. Hanley Ramirez had a 750 OPS last year. On the road, he has, what was it, a 960 OPS? That's hitting like Paul Goldschmidt. 
at home on the road, he has Hanley Ramirez. So he goes switches from Hanley Ramirez to Paul Goldschmidt, which Hanley still wasn't a bad offensive player last year. You know, finished with uh, 23 home runs, uh, a lot of strikeouts, but um, you know, still was a solid bat in the middle of the lineup. Uh, you know, maybe not a guy you would have at the top of the lineup, but somebody who would give. You know, what is he getting? 18 million dollars a year. I mean, I, I can totally see how that would happen. Um, yes, his age is a little concerning. Getting that kind of deal when you're 31 years old, that is a little bit questionable. But with what he gives the team in terms of outfield defense, you know, above average center fielder, uh, plus uh, stole, you know, being able to hit at the top of the lineup, getting a viable leadoff man is a hot commodity in the league these, these days. You don't see, uh, you see a lot of teams with struggling to kind of get going at the top because they don't have a table setter. Well, this kind of locks in at least one table setter for the Rockies in the next few years. Uh, and then, you know, you look at his final numbers and he's putting up ones that put him in the category for MVP. I mean, yes, you know, it's a lot home dominant, but over the full course of a season, it's going to, um, you know, still come together to be a very, very good offensive player. So I think the Rockies liked what they had. They didn't have to worry about, you know, a player like Desmond coming into Colorado and struggling in the thin air, which has happened in the past with other players. They, they know he can succeed in this environment. And, you know, they took a, honestly, a safer bet than it would have been to sign a guy like Adam Jones. You go into offseason, you say, Adam, Adam Jones has about a 750 OPS. I mean, I haven't seen the exact numbers, but I'd be willing to bet it's at least somewhere in that category. Um, let's see. Last year, he had an 808 OPS. Or, no, sorry, that's this year. 787. So basically, they could have made the bet of giving Adam Jones probably a little bit less money of a deal, but not having any idea of whether he would be, you know, the guy. He's the same age as as Charlie Blackman right now. And so I think, you know, they looked at what the... They're going to need an outfielder next year. They looked at the market, thought, okay... You know, we could go for Bryce Harper. That's going to break the bank. I don't think we can afford a guy like that. Maybe Adam Jones, but we have a safer bet with Blackman. So they decided to roll the dice here. Um, and I think, you know, it's a smarter way to spend your money. I honestly wasn't very impressed with the Rockies offseason. I didn't think that pouring a ton of money into their bullpen was the right way to go. I think they needed to invest a little bit more in their offense, which actually on the road was one of the not yeah. on the road had very bad offensive splits. Um, so I honestly thought that, you know, Putting all that money into a bullpen that was already good wasn't necessarily the way to go. They decided to do it anyway. Here they are. They have all the money locked up. Now they've got another hitter at least locked in for the foreseeable future. And I think, you know, as much as their age worries you, as much as the road home splits hit you, worry you, you're still going to get incredible production at home, which, you know, like I said, some players still struggle in Colorado, even though it is, you know, favoring hitters. So they, they went with a safe bet, and I got to applaud them for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with your point. On you know this off season, uh, they probably should have gone out and you know added offense to this lineup. Maybe some younger offense. I mean, a lot of these guys are aging, um, and they're signing long term deals to guys that are aging a little bit. So, you know, maybe going out and getting a young hitter would have been a better option. But today's game, I mean, bullpens are so important. I understand why they went in that direction. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, when you split up a hundred and what six million over six years, I mean, it's not that much money. Uh, and for you know one of the best center fielders in the game, uh, give the Rockies props for uh, locking him up long term. Now, my question to you, Kevin, is: Do you think this sets the market? Now, obviously, this past offseason was an anomaly. Here, we had you know collusion rumors and uh, not over twenty five free agent like reasonable free agents are still left on the board. Stephen Drew just retired, unable to find a job uh, the other day. So. Uh, there are certainly a bunch of players that still are unsigned and a lot of players that had to sign for less money than they were expecting. Mike Moustakis, Lance Lynn come to mind as guys who really were expected to approach $100 million. I mean, we were talking about J.D. Martinez 
is he a $200 million player? I remember us having that conversation on the pod early in the offseason, and obviously that never panned out for him. Where do you think this leaves the market now? We have Blackman signing for $108 million over six years. Do we think that a guy like Adam Jones, is he going to get 15 to $20 million a year, or is he going to be a guy like Moustakis who's having to settle for a short-term deal, uh, Arietta having to settle for a three-year deal? I mean, is that something that we're, you think you're going to be seeing more of? I don't think this offseason. I think people or teams this offseason were very stingy on money because of the next free agent class. They didn't want to spend too much this offseason when they knew they could get surefire talent next year. Um, so I think you know a lot of these guys, Bryce Harper's going to break the bank. Manny Machado, um, there are some other guys. Dallas Keuchel, he's going to make a lot of money. Andrew McCutcheon will be a free agent. Andrew McCutcheon's a different story because he's a little old. Um, he's going to yeah. be, I believe, 33 next 32. year. 32, yeah. He's 32 now. No, he's going to be 32. He's going to be 32. So it's kind of old for a center fielder, a guy who, um, you know, had he struggled a little bit in Pittsburgh last year. Uh, I just don't see him getting as much money. Maybe a two or three year deal worth 15 a year or something. Um, something in the ballpark of you know what Carlos Santana got from the Phillies, a, a three year deal or something. But I do. I I the question I want to counter your question with is. Do you think Charlie Blackman would have got money, more money on the free agent market than he got by the, from the Rockies? I really don't. I mean, like I said before, the, the splits were worrisome and the teams were saying, okay, especially if we have a, a hitter-friendly ballpark, are we really going to sign a guy who only hits like uh, Hanley Ramirez in all of those games that isn't at Coors Field? Yes, Hanley Ramirez is a good offensive player, but I don't think that you, know, you want um, him – plus uh, being in a pitcher-friendly ballpark. So that takes out, I'd say, probably seven or eight teams right off the bat. Um, and, you know, from there, you can, okay, like, can we afford him? Are, are we willing to compete? Because a lot of these teams that are spending money on top free agents, save for the Padres, are teams that are trying to compete now. And we have, we, we've talked about tanking. There's a lot of teams that are, you know, at the basement of their divisions right now and, and aren't looking at uh, competing in the future uh, just yet. Uh, and so I think that with, with talent that's already on the market, with how much money is going to be thrown around, Blackman, yes, is a great offensive player. I didn't think that he was going to be one of the guys getting one of the biggest deals uh, available. I mean, even past, if you go past Harper um, and um, Machado, you've still you know, got guys like uh, as Drupal Cabrera, um, Josh Donaldson's going to be a free agent. Marwin Gonzalez, a guy who doesn't get talked about a lot, played all over the infield. Uh, he's only 30, right? He's only going to be 30 years old. I think he's going to get a lot of money there. Michael Brantley's going to be a free agent. Cargo again. Uh, you know, that's not even getting me started on all the relievers. Cody Allen, uh, Zach Britton, Andrew Miller, uh, David Robinson, uh, Jerry Blevins. I mean, you know, the list goes on. I, I can't imagine that uh, Machado, or sorry, not Machado. Blackman would stand out among the pack, and so I think he played it safe. I think the Rockies played it safe, and at the end of the day, both sides are happy. Uh, and so moving forward, you know, this is what it is. Uh, and I don't think the market—I don't think the market's set necessarily because I think he got a bit of a hometown discount. I mean, uh, the Rockies kind of gave him a little more money than he might have been worth. I, I would have guessed that he would have gotten around ninety to hundred million dollars. So I think he went a little bit over than what I was expecting. Um, but you know, we'll see. Uh, how the market shapes out. Certainly, you know, Harper and, and Machado are going to command huge deals, but I'm interested to see how everybody else behind them does because, you know, we saw guys get some pretty big contracts. I mean, even if you don't count, you know, uh, J.D. Martinez is getting what he wanted, still landed a $150 million deal. Uh, Eric Hosmer got an eight-year deal. 
Uh, Jake Arrieta was still getting $30 million a year from the Phillies. I mean, uh, first baseman who they also signed, name is escaping me. Carlos Santana, Carlos Santana got a pretty good deal there too, $75 million. I mean, there were still some, some big deals there, just not what we were expecting. Uh, and so I'm interested to see, you know, after that, that those two big guys go off the board, maybe you can include Dallas Keuchel in that conversation too. After those guys go off the board, where does everyone else go? I mean, where, what is Matt Harvey going to sign for? If he has a bounce back year this year, how much money is he going to get? You know, like there's so many things that we got to worry about here. And I just didn't, wasn't sure how Blackman would do. I think he did the right move signing with the Rockies now, especially, you know, he could get injured this year and ruin everything uh, for his offseason this, this upcoming year. With, with all these names that are coming off the board, I mean, that's not, you know, it's a smart move. So uh, I think that got more money than he would have in free agency, to answer your question, um, and the Rockies are playing it safe. So bravo to them. Finally, uh, we want to talk about the New England Patriots, uh, of course, who always seem to be uh, a topic of conversation. However, it is about what they are giving up, not what they're getting. They traded Brandon Cooks, wide receiver, formerly of the New Orleans Saints, uh, first-round pick to the L.A. Rams uh, for the 23rd overall pick in this year's draft. This caps off a pretty impressive offseason for the Rams. They have already um, done um, some pretty big moves here, acquiring guys like Aqib Tlaib, um, and a few other, um, Marcus Peters and Dominican Sue as well on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so this kind of gives them another threat, a weapon on offense. They already had Todd Gurley. Jared Goff came to his own last year. Um, this is kind of the, the kind of complete, complete that group of playmakers on offense. Kevin, do you think this is a good move for the Rams having to give up, you know, such a prime draft pick? Yeah. I, I mean, they definitely had to give up that first round pick. I mean, Brennan Cooks is, is quite the talent. I mean, 65 catches. Uh, 1,082 yards last year, averaging 16.6 yards per catch. I mean, the deep threat he provides with seven touchdowns, I, I think it was a great move for them. Uh, it opens up the field a lot for, you know, one of the best running backs in the NFL and Todd Gurley. Uh, it gives them that deep threat with uh, Jared Goff, who, you know, has the arm. So I like all the moves the Rams have made. The only problem is every time teams go out and spend a ton of money in free agency, it never works out. I mean, name an NFL team that went out and broke the bank and and gave up draft picks and all that and won a Super Bowl. It hasn't doesn't really happen. Uh, the Giants did it two years ago, made the playoffs, won eleven games, but uh, you know now those guys are aging. And I feel like Akeem Talib's you know old, um, Sue's old, not not as productive as he used to be. Marcus Peters has attitude problems. I mean, they got a lot of guys cheaper than they probably could have because they're not as good as they were in their prime, but. I like the Brandon Cooks signing. I mean, the deep threat he, he's been, and he's only uh, 24 years old. I mean, great gift for them. I mean, my thing is, is, you know, I follow Cooks as a Saints fan, you know, one of the best deep threats in uh, football, one of the better, one of the fastest wide receivers in football as well. Doesn't have the height uh, necessarily, but can outrun almost anybody. Um, but his thing was, was the reason the Saints traded him was because Michael Thomas was taking such a share of his catches that he was, you know, saying, I want to be the guy. I want to be our number one receiver in New Orleans. And they were saying, oh, we don't want that kind of attitude. And they traded him uh, to New England. Now, you already mentioned Marcus Peters has attitude problems. Dominic and Sue's attitude problems we've talked about before. Some of the most documented in the NFL has had several fines for, you know, stomping on, what was it, Aaron Rodgers and uh, a few other, you know, embarrassing moments for him in his career. You know, to add three guys like that into a locker room, um, you know, that I wouldn't say is like that but is more just young and is looking to be shaped you know they have the best NFL defensive player in the year in Aaron Donald how are all of these you know 
personality is going to blend. I don't know if that's a recipe for success. Like you said, Akeem Tlaib's older. Uh, Marcus Peters, you know, he's in the mid to 30s now, right? Uh, you know, getting up there in age. I just don't know if this is a recipe for success for the Rams. I do think they're making the fact that they're making moves is good. I think bringing Brandon Cooks to that offense was a must-needed move. You know, they lost Sammy Watkins in free agency. Not that he was really adding much to the team necessarily, uh, but he was still, you know, a playmaker on offense that could make big plays when they needed him to. I think Cooks is better than Watkins and and certainly is going to add to that rapport. Cooper Cup, uh, you know, went to uh, Eastern Washington, who we've seen play. FCS. uh, FCS, uh, shout out to him. Um, You know, and who's the other wide receiver whose name, uh, young guy whose name I'm forgetting, but... Uh, you know, that, that wide receiving core is young, is fast. Uh, Robert Woods was the guy I was thinking of. Um, you know, the three of them, I think, and is Tavon Austin still on the team? No, he's gone. Um, but, you know, with them, with Todd Gurley and Jared Goff, this is a really, really solid offensive core. Uh, their offensive line took a major step forward last year. I think offensively, they're going to be fine. It's the defense. It's going up in there in age. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how that's all going to pan out for them. But honestly, the biggest takeaway for me is what are the Patriots going to do with this pick, okay? Yes, they have the 31st pick and the 23rd pick, but the Giants did say that they were looking for two first-round picks. I saw that graphic on social media. Yeah, two first-round uh, picks. I, I just don't see it. I mean, if, if the Giants are going to trade them, I don't know if they trade them to the Patriots. It's just like, it's like a rivalry. It is. And it's like, it would be, it's not to the extent of, you know, the Red Sox trading someone to the Yankees because they don't play in the same division or in the same, or in the same, um, that one plays in the AFC, one plays in the NFC. Mm-hmm. But I just, you know, they've had some great games over the years, Super Bowl appearances. I, I just don't see them trading Odell Beckham to the Patriots. And I don't know if the Patriots are trying to do that. Maybe the Patriots, I mean, their defense struggled last year. Maybe they're trying to go out and get a couple of defensive guys late in the first round. So, you know, it is something to keep an eye on. Two first-round picks when the Giants want two first-round picks. And it's within three or four days of, you know, uh, the Giants GM saying he wants two first-round picks and the Patriots uh, go get that second first-round pick. I mean, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, but I, I just don't see the Giants trading it to the Patriots. It would be something cool to see. I mean, yes, I mean, the Patriots are like the Yankees of the NFL, and nobody wants to see them do well, yeah. but if you give Tom Brady out to help Beckham, I mean, come on. that you got to tell You can't tell me that wouldn't be Especially fun to see. Especially because... You know, the Tom Brady special is the slant across the middle. The Odell Beckham special is the slant across the middle and take it to the house. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. be an interesting combination. It really would. But uh, as far as the Rams go, you know, they're in a competitive division, uh, you know, having to keep up here uh, with the 49ers who are making moves. The Seahawks are taking a step backward and the Cardinals, you know, are still sorting out their quarterback situation. Um, but, you know, the, with the 49ers making moves, I think the Rams needed to at least separate themselves from the pack a little bit in the NFC West. Uh, and I think that's what they've done here. Even if these moves aren't necessarily best for the team, I think they already had a solid enough core where they're going to be good enough anyway that they're going to be a playoff caliber team. I mean, I don't think that's any question that, you know, the Rams are going to be making the playoffs next year. If they don't, it would be a massive disappointment, especially after all the moves they made. Um, but I think, you know, some of it's a little more overblown than it should be simply because, you know, a guy like Akeem Tlaib's name is so well known around the league, but not for what he's been doing now, but what he, he did three, four years ago. Um, you know, it would be a disappointment. But I think that they're making enough moves to at least, you know, give the <coughs> excuse me, give the 49ers, you know, something to worry about in the division because Jimmy Garoppolo looked downright dominant. And I if I were, you know, the Rams front office, I would be worried. Yeah, definitely. Um on the bright side or in other news, Michael Franco just hit a two run home run and the Phillies are up five nothing. So go Phils. 
But yes, the Rams are gonna. Bam, the Rams are. We're already a playoff team, like you said. They're gonna make the playoffs regardless of the moves they made this offseason. But they just, you know, they took their team to another level. They're all in, um, and I'm excited to see how that defense works out. I mean, uh, we've seen defenses spend big money. Our teams spend big money on defenses in the past, and it's worked out. So we'll see if the Rams do does work out. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our episode today. Don't forget, you can like and subscribe to our show on iTunes. Like, follow us on Twitter at Pure Sports Net, and check us out on Facebook at Pure Sports Network. Also, our website, puresportsnetwork.com. Uh, had a couple pieces go up today, including a piece on Charlie Blackman in our MLB page. So be sure to check that out. Um, I'm Matt Wyack. This is Kevin Haswell signing off on the Pure Sports Pod. Kevin, any final words for the good people? Continue to trust the process. We're getting the three seed. We will see about that. But I'm Matt Wyrick. Go Nats. Thank you all very much, and have a good one.